Welcome to Conversations for Ali, a podcast sharing the real-life, everyday stories of resilient Australian women from the bush. I'm Ebony Wan. We'll hear how these women have overcome some huge adversity, as well as what tools they use on a daily basis to regain a sense of peace, normality and happiness in their lives again. I've created this podcast in loving memory of my friend, Dr. Alexandra James Hack. This is Conversations for Ali. Today, you're going to hear from a dear friend of mine, Sarah Barnes. Mine and Sarah's paths crossed when her late husband, Dr. Joshua Scott Paul, and my then boyfriend, Peter Wan, crossed the Simpson Desert together in May 2011 for the charity Young Care. Josh and Pete were seated next to each other on the plane on the way to Mount Dare to begin the 350km trek and they instantly became the best of mates. After the challenge of a lifetime, we all stayed in close contact and knew we'd made friends for life. Sarah was one of my bridesmaids in 2013 alongside Ali who this podcast is made in memory of. Sarah has an extraordinary story and has experienced the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, but she's determined to keep learning and growing through the hard times. With her amazing husband Lachlan by her side, they're united in bringing up their daughter Indiana with strong values and morals and to know that sometimes life gets tough but we have a choice in deciding how we react. This is Sarah's story. Hello, Sezzy. Hi, Ev. Thank you for coming and being my first guest on the podcast. Absolute honour. Thank you for asking me. Thank you. I'm sure everybody's going to love your story. So let's start by telling me um, some things about you, where you were born and where you grew up. Okay. Um... I moved around quite a lot. So uh, I was born in Perth, yes. um, in Fremantle, mm-hmm. um, and I lived there for the first year of my life um, before my dad got transferred to Sydney. Um, and then we lived in Sydney for a couple of years where my younger brother was born. Okay. Um, and then we moved not long after uh, that to Brisbane. My dad got transferred again with his job. Um, and we lived in Brisbane um as a family um, for a couple of years before my mum and dad had a very nasty separation. Yeah. Um, it was a very toxic relationship and um, I think my dad had an affair and uh, was, you know, mm. it, it was not a nice, uh, I guess, childhood memories yeah. I have probably at that time. Um, and then we had to move out of the house that we um, were established in and my mum moved to another house um, is smaller that we could afford um, and my dad moved uh, in Brisbane but we still needed to see him um, for a number of years given the courts and the legal yeah. system so um, we was going to see him on holidays and on weekends. Yeah. yeah. And I know that you have a half sister. That's right, yeah. Cara. So how did she fit into the picture? Yep, so um, it's my dad's previous marriage okay. before my mum. Uh, and um, so she's older than me. Um, 
and she has lived in Sydney her whole life. So when we moved to Sydney, when after I was born, uh, I guess that's when she first met me and yeah. um, was around for when my brother was born. And um, given mum's her stepmum, mum's always been an active role in her life um, and Cara's been an active role in hers. Yeah. So we've always grown up. I don't like to think we're half-sisters. We're yeah. very close. Um, and now we live, you know, 10 kilometres down the road from each other. So that's so nice. Huge yeah. part of my life. Yeah. Um, and she would have been excited, I guess, to have a little sister and then a brother come along. Yeah, well, she's an only child from... Uh, you know, my, my uh, I guess I call Diane part of my mum as well because yeah. um, she's always been in my life and uh, and mum and her are very close friends, the two ex-wives now. Oh. Um, so, yeah, she's, uh, I think she, yeah, she, she loves Chloe knowing that she has a sister and a brother as well. Yeah. And so did you lose contact with your dad at some point? Um, I did. So uh, we had to see him for a number of years and it was incredibly difficult. Mm. Um you know, I was always trying to protect my younger brother. Mm. Um, he was, you know, he was a baby, a toddler. Um, mm. And my dad uh, was an alcoholic. Okay. He's an alcoholic. Um, so can get quite verbally nasty and abusive. Yeah. And, you know, mum and dad had a very nasty divorce. And so, you know, we grew up with him constantly telling us stories nasty things about our mum mm -hmm. um and you know my mum bless her never said a bad word about my dad no matter how awful and you know what she endured mm. in that relationship and um I think when my brother and I were old enough we could understand mm -hmm. that you know the dynamic and and what I guess was you know where we aligned I guess yeah and um, what we didn't. So we did make a choice when we were old enough um, to not see our dad hmm. um, and we moved. So uh, it got to a stage where we didn't like going and seeing our dad, but given we were in Queensland, my dad was barrister. Um, okay. It was difficult, I guess, to be in the court system and, and have, yeah. you know, not have the visitation rights. And, um, so we moved to Armadale okay. uh, in the country, rural. And uh, and who did you go there with? So just my mum, my brother and I. So it was just always the three of us. We yeah. always used to say we were the three musketeers yeah. and us against the world. And um, we moved to Armadale um, because my grandparents, who are active role models, have always been in our life. Mm. I always refer to them as, you know, my blommy is like my dad. Yeah. Um, and that's your grandfather. My grandfather. Yeah. And they lived in Maxville. And that's, you know, not very far from Armadale, a couple mm. of hours. So mum really wanted to be close to them. Yeah. And they would come and see us a lot and really help and support mum as a single mum, yeah. bringing up two kids. Yeah. Uh, and we moved to Armadale for education. So okay. um, my grandparents were really passionate about us having a good education and they put us through private schools ah. um, in Armadale, yeah. which um, I was... I went to PLC Armadale from year five yeah. uh, to, to year 12 and had a great schooling upbringing there. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. Did you board there or were you a day girl? So I was I was a day girl for the majority, but um, my mum uh, met my now stepfather okay. and um, they bought a farm uh, in Ebor, um outside of Ebor, and it, the commute just probably wasn't worth 
Mm. You know, mum didn't want us sitting on buses for like an hour yeah. each way. That's right. Um, so at that stage, I elected to be a day a, a boarder yeah. um, weekly. And so I always had the weekends with mum. Mum had a little apartment in town and or I went to, you know, my best friend Erica's place down the road. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And so what were those years like for you moving from the city in Brisbane to Armadale and it would have been quite a change in lifestyle and schooling and people even probably? How did that? It um, was, um, I remember being, I I was very against it at the start because I was, you know, I guess 12 years old. Yeah. Had established my friendship circle in Brisbane and when mum said that we were moving, I, you know, your friends are everything at that mm. age. So it was a really difficult adjustment and, you know, going into a private girls' school, which, you know, I wasn't used to. Mm. I mean, you had to wear, your, you know, your uniform every day. We had more protocols and it was strict and, um, and going to a place that was really foreign that we didn't know and we had no friends. We had to start from, I mm. guess, scratch making friends again. Mm. So... Um, yeah, absolutely challenging, but I think, uh, like now it was the best, up- I-, I can't even imagine not being in Armadale, I absolutely loved it, had the best upbringing, and my friends from school are still my best friends to this day. Yeah, that's so lovely. So do you think your mum, did she choose Armadale for the country, um, the lifestyle there, and the education? Uh, my mum always grew up in the country, she yeah. grew up in Maxville, and so I think she, um, you know has an affinity with that and wanted the same pre-upbringing lifestyle that we did and it was close to my grandparents and at that stage as a single mum I think you know she needed all the support she could get as well yeah um and education you know my grandparents have always been you know fiercely passionate about my mum went to PLC but in Sydney yeah so um yeah it was just I guess Mm. it was just it sounded like the right move Mm. logically for Mm. many reasons and what was the farm like that your mum and Hugh, your stepfather, what did they have on their farm? Yeah, so they have uh, beef. Their cattle. Uh, my stepdad's always been a cattle farmer. Yeah. Um. So he bought Brahmins. He used to live in Queensland, and when he met my mum, uh, he moved to Armadale for my mum, and um, they had a number of cattle. So Brahmins and Angus, they breed, crossbreed. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And how old were you when they got married? Uh, I was about 15 mm-hmm. at the time. So, again, it was a really challenging time for me. I was, again, very against it. Yeah. Um, I I felt that, I guess, it, I was being replaced in a way because, you know, it was always just my mum, my brother and I. And for a while it was just my mum and I because my brother went to boarding school in Queensland in uh, Warwick. Is oh, that yeah, yeah. Um, on the border, <laughs> yeah. and um, and he went there, and so it was just my mum and I. So oh. again, it was really challenging time for me because I did feel, yeah, like yeah. I've never grown up with a that I could remember. Yeah, growing up with a a, a, a father figure, yeah. I guess, with my mum in the house, yeah. and seeing my mum in a relationship. I mean, that was completely foreign to me because mm. my dad left. You know, when I was four. So young. So it was, yeah, it was a very challenging time. Um, Why did your brother, Lachlan, go to Warwick and not Armadale? Uh, He was in Armadale initially. And uh, I I think, you know, growing up uh, for my brother, 
with two females, you know, my mum mm. and I, it's a very, I think, a very, you know, he had a very different experience. Yeah. And, um, and I think, you know, as a boy, he probably wanted a male figure role model and he went and lived with my dad for a while, which didn't end up very, it, it didn't work out. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, moved, we felt that Scott's uh, in Warwick was a really good choice. Yeah. Mum really liked school. He made some, you know, his best mates to this day from yeah. there too. So, um, and again, mum would always drive up and see him mm. and, you know, it'd kind of be a weekly, you know, yeah. water side of things. Yeah. So, yeah. Because how far is Warwick from Armadale? I think it, by memory it was only, it was three, four hours. And I think it's yeah. not that far. Yep. So she really, um, she made some big sacrifices by the sounds, being a single mum and, and making a big move like that and then putting two children through boarding school, um, sending one away, going to visit often. Yeah, yeah. she did. And, and, I, and I think my mum, you know, again, you know, working, she, she worked several jobs. She worked in motels. She worked at have your travel and like New England travel like she was working in all these places mm. to just make do yeah um she never received any maintenance from my father yeah. we were cut off mm. um so you know my grandparents uh, you know hence why we're so grateful to them they've been such mm. active role models because they supported my mum and they supported us put us through schooling yeah um so you get branded into that yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely like very very privileged yeah in that way. and they're Norman and Jean Norman and Faye Faye yes Faye. okay and um yeah, and we've still got Blommy. Yep, Blommy, yeah. Norman. Uh he yes, he is ninety three, God love him. And uh yeah, absolutely still, you know, he's doing so well. Yeah. And uh yeah, like we're very fortunate. Yeah, that's so nice. Um, so schooling was a nice experience for you in Armadale and you made some really good friends that you're still really close with, which is amazing. Um, what did you do in the years after school or did you have any idea what you wanted to do when you were going to leave school? Yeah, um, I think um, given how much turbulence I guess I had in a way in those first couple of years of my childhood um, and seeing things I saw, like as I said, you know, it was a, it was an incredibly toxic relationship Um you know, my my memories growing up were living in pubs um, with my dad drinking and, you know, saying awful things about people in my family that I was incredibly close to and growing up not knowing what was the truth or not. Mm-hmm. Um, my mum escaping and, you know, I, I remember vividly, you know, being in a women's refuge mm-hmm. uh, and trying to, you know, my mum really trying to kind of escape my dad. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there was a lot, and my dad having affairs. And, I mean, it was a really I guess um, we saw a lot of things at a young age. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess with all of that, I always wanted to do social work. Okay. Um, I wanted to help people. Yeah. Um, I had a really strong inclination about that. And I remember all through school talking to the careers counsellor saying, I just want to do social work. Um, and, you know, I, I applied for that after the HSC and I got into Sydney Uni doing social work. Um, but I deferred. Um, Mum's really, you know, she was she was fan- and my grandparents they were always encouraging of going and getting worldly experience as well. Mm. And 
you know, I guess, you know, being in boarding school and working, you know, at school and working really hard uh, in those last couple of years, um, I did feel like I wanted to have a break and we hadn't probably travelled overseas much growing yeah. up because, you know, my mum, bless her, was that yeah. single mum. Yeah. We did a lot of travel throughout Australia given my mum's tourism, uh, you know, that's her industry. Okay. But, um, yeah, mum, mum encouraged me to apply um, for a gap school position um, and I did so as well because my best friend Erica applied and she she got in and I was like gosh you know it'd be amazing if we could go and do this together and what did that involve like what was that was um, it a you program? Had to, yeah you had to it was a gap program okay. and you had to apply and, and the school had to accept you and you know I, I am so blessed because my best friend and I got accepted to the same school we, wow. we put a proposal we asked and they accepted us which is unheard of normally yeah. they only take one person from each you know I guess jurisdiction um so we went over there. We were eighteen. And where was ready to go? Oh, so we went to the UK. Okay. Um, in a place called Yearly, yeah. um, Cambridgeshire. Yeah. Um, and the school we got into was the King School, and it was a private co-ed school. Um, with boarding from kindergarten or transition right through. And this is, was this the after school? Yes. Yeah, so we were eighteen. HSC. We did our HSC. Yeah. We finished, you know, in October, November, or, or you know that yeah. time frame, and then we were on the plane on. I think it was January 2nd, I remember we flew out and, you know, we flew out together from Sydney Airport with our mums absolutely, you know, so sad because, you know, they were losing, you know, their their girls, I guess, for a year and, you know, you're young when you, when I think about it now, Mm. I mean, we didn't think we were young at the time, but it's a huge responsibility. Um, And so, yeah, we, we saved our money. We, we, I've worked um, on weekends at the, very best cafe and did babysitting and um, saved up all my money to to go overseas and, and bless mum paid for my my uh, ticket over there but other than that it was all my pocket money yeah um and um and yeah we went over there and I remember both of us just on the plane just terrified yet excited not knowing what the year ahead was going to yeah. look like did we do the right thing yeah. a lot of our friends were going straight to uni yeah um, so was this for you to work at the school? Yeah, so it's a gap year where you, you walk, work in the school in whatever role that they provide. So I worked in the transition, uh, which is, I think, equivalent to like preschool or kindergarten over here, um, and I was a teacher's aide. Okay. So that was my job during the mornings. Yeah. And then the afternoons I went back into the junior school and the senior school, and um, I was a... Um, I supported in hockey or netball or yeah. we did life-saving. Um, and then at nights we were the house mistress, so um, in the boarding house, which yeah. was a different experience given yeah. that I had just been a boarder yeah, and yeah. now I'm the, you know, mistress yeah. that we lived in and we looked after the girls and they were young, you know, in junior school. Yeah. Um, and it was, a, yeah, it was an incredible experience. So you were working big hours by the sound. And then I was working on the weekends yeah. at the local pub Okay. Uh, as a waitress. And why did you do that? Um, to get more money so that when schools shut down on holidays yeah. that we could go, we did a Kentucky tour in Europe and we did like little European travel. We wanted to make the most out of the year. So mm-hmm. going and seeing things within the UK and then going over to Europe and you know, we were very lucky because we had each other, yeah. you know, as best friends. 
friends. Yeah, yeah. Some of our other girlfriends that were over there, we caught up with as well. Yeah. Made friends along the way. So your friendship um, lasted that year. Oh yeah, yeah. there was tense times. Yeah. You know, we 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 were very, I guess, optimistic at the start. We were like, we can live in the same bedroom. Yeah. And we sh- shared a room. And Erica is a neat freak, and I am the messiest person yeah. and disorganized. And yeah, I think she got stuck of it, yeah. and so I decided that. She'd move into the fellow bedroom and uh, I, we then had our own rooms for the rest of the year. But, yeah, we, we had a great year, great experience. Yeah, that's so wonderful. And did you make friends there? Yeah, so I, I made a lot of friends, uh, especially Kentucky Tour and, um, and you know, living in the school and living locally in Ely. Um, we'd go out on the weekends and, uh, you know, we both – fell in love and had boyfriends over there as well yeah. um which yeah was the highlight I guess you know of my year I mean yeah 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 so did you meet somebody special I did yeah I I met a local boy uh called Josh um he was a scaffolder or a builder okay and we were the same age and uh at the maltings where I worked mm-hmm. on the weekends um he came in with a group of his mates and they started, you know, paying me out, basically calling me Skippy. Uh, <laughs> hey, doing sport. Yeah. Give me a shrimp on the barbie. Yeah. You know, all of those things. And I just thought, gosh, you know, what idiots. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I didn't pay much notice, but I was quite keen on one of the boys there, his mate. And I left my number. He asked for my number and I gave him my number. And then a couple of days later, I got a message, not from the boy, that boy, mm. but from his mate, who I didn't, did, first impressions were great, because yeah. I thought he was the one that was mainly calling me sport. Yeah. And he asked me out on a date, do I want to go to a pub, to the pub and have, have a drink and a meal? And I remember talking about it with Eric, and she was like, you know, what's, what's the harm? Just mm. come do it. Mm. So um, I did, and the rest is history. That was in August I met him, and we were then inseparable for the remainder of the year. Um, fell madly in love. So um, did you turn 19 that year? I did, yeah. Um, in October. And what happened after that? Um, we did some travel together. I met all of his family, um, and uh, he had three brothers. And um, his mum and dad, and they were so welcoming and had me over always for Sunday roast dinners. And, you know, I basically lived there mm. and they just adopted me. They were, it was incredible that last four months. And um, I was meant to come home to Australia for Christmas. Um, and I rang my mum and I said, she'd come over already. So she had met Josh and took us to the Greek islands and she loved him as well so I mean it was an easier conversation but I I did say and I think she was half expecting it you know I don't start uni really until February my visa runs out in January 2nd a year later yeah. than when I came um I really want to stay longer and have Christmas with Josh's family they'd invited me um down to Cornwall to have Christmas with them and I just you know wasn't ready to say goodbye to Josh we didn't know what you know, was mm. going to happen. He knew I had to come back to Australia. Um, so we we did. We I extended my stay until the very last possible day. Mum was terrified that I was just not going to get on the plane and I would become an illegal immigrant. Yeah. Um, 
I did get on the plane, but it was the hardest goodbye. Um, and, you know, I, I remember, you know, what we had lots of conversations, Josh and I, but he was like, there's nothing stopping me coming out to Australia. I'm going to apply for a visa. Um, and when I said goodbye to him, we were kind of, he, he said, look, I'll be over in a couple of months. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know. It was, you know, you jump on the plane, you go, am I really going to see this person again? Um, but secretly confident because we just did not stop talking. Uh, and those couple of months when I returned to Australia um, were really hard because, I, you know, my heart was in the UK. Mm. Um, and, and where did you live when you moved back here? Um, I went, again, my mum my and my grandparents were encouraging for me to go and experience university life, college life. And uh, I was, I applied for, they helped um, when I was over there that there was a new university village that was um, Sydney Uni were, you know, all part of. It was called Sydney University Village or SUV. And it was like a terrace house. They were these terraces or you could have apartments. Um, and uh, I got a place. And, um, and so, yeah, as soon as I came back, I pretty much moved into the village and, again made some of my best friends to this very day live next door or lived you know mm. close by and uh it was across the road from the university so I, I mean I got to experience college life which yeah. was brilliant and um had you been accepted into uni prior to that and did you defer I did yeah yeah I deferred and um so yeah I went in and I started social work and you know I, I and, and when I did social work I I, I got quite confronted by it. I think a lot of the baggage from my childhood kind of came to the surface and um, I realised quite quickly that I actually don't know if this is the degree for me. Yeah. Um, I it's, it's, it's probably a little too emotional. You know, you have to be strong. And, and there was a lot of stuff I probably hadn't dealt with. So um, I changed. I, I applied. Um and I really wanted to then get focused into HR. I was doing some business subjects already and then I made the switch and mm -hmm. I focused on HR. And um, to this day, you know, that's that's my call for, you know, I, yeah. I, I focus on HR now. Um, and, yeah, it was a great switch and, you know, being at Sydney Uni, you know, you, you know lots of great friends. Uh, yeah, it was brilliant. Mm -hmm. I loved it. And so where did Josh fit into those first couple of months? Yeah, so we did the long distance, the agonising, talked all the time on the phone. You know, people at college were like, come out. You know, I mean, we were 19 and everyone was doing the bar hopping scene and, you know, people were like, you're crazy. Like, is this guy really going to come over? And a lot of people now say to me, some of my good friends say, we just didn't think he existed mm -hmm. at the start, you know. And, um, and you know, but I stayed, uh, you know, very loyal. Um, we wrote snail mail to each other back in those days and emails and spoke on the phone all night and um, we made it work and then he came over um, to his word he arrived in March um, oh. just on his birthday March 15 and uh, I remember because he came in the end with his best mate and um, and yeah we, we celebrated his birthday they were here they had a two-year holiday visa um, he didn't have a job, nothing. He came over here and he was very quickly introduced to my family. Um, everyone loved him and adopted him similarly to, you know, how his family adopted me. 
and my grandparents had a unit in uh, Sydney and they very kindly offered it um, to Josh and his best mate to live at. Um, and so they did. And so, I mean, half the time I spent there and half the mm. time Josh spent at the college with me, but, um, you know, I'm so grateful again for that. You know, it helped them and mm. they went out and got bar jobs and, you know, building jobs and cafe jobs and, um, yeah. you know, enjoyed the kind of Australia, mm. you know, and we went on holidays together when I was on break and, yeah, yeah I mean, it was fantastic. But Josh then... Um, you know, I think because he was hanging around a lot of my friends at the college, um, decided that he wanted to go to uni. And uh, and I was like, but you you didn't really finish your A-levels. Like, you just did your GCSEs. Like, how is this going to work? And anyway, he explored it all. And he then went and did his HSC um, out wow. here. Uh, he was 19 and he went to TAFE and did it. And but how long did that take? A whole year. Yeah. And he was so dedicated to it. And um, he, I remember we were having conversations. I was like, what are you going to do at the end? Like, what do you want to, you know, I guess go into uni doing? And um, and I remember him kept on saying to me, I want to be a physio. And I was like, that's, that's a quite hard thing to get into, right? Like in Sydney, like you probably, you need good grades. Yeah. And uh, and I and he didn't study much, and so I, I guess that was probably from my lens. I'm like, I really don't know how he's going to go with this. And um, and he and then I said, what about PE teaching? Like, I can see you doing that. And he was, you know, yeah, yeah, no, that's a good choice as well. So um, but then he got his HSC results, and he got ninety seven point five, and just blew it out of the park. And I I don't think he knew he was that smart. I don't think anyone did. And he then had choice of basically doing whatever he wanted and um he grew up his mum's a nurse and so um she um I think you know that medical side really intrigued him so he applied for medical science um at UNSW and he got in wow and he did his medical science degree there for three years and graduated and then as he came out of that he was like I actually want to do medicine I want to be a doctor yeah and so again he applied and uh, he got into doing a Bachelor of Medicine surgery at Notre Dame wow. for the next four years. So what had happened to his visa in that time? So um, he was an international student. So we did have to, his parents very kindly supported him for a number of years. Um, and then Josh and I, you know, took it on and, and were paying the, the fees as an international student before he became um, a citizen. He applied for oh, a citizenship, residency yeah. and citizenship, and he, he got that. Yeah. And, uh, and that made it What year was that? Oh, gosh, you're really or, testing me now. Or, um, how old were you? Do you remember? <sighs> I don't recall that. Um, Early In 20s. our 20s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, were you engaged by this point? So, um, again, our romance was very quick. I mean, as soon as we met, I, I knew he was the one. Uh, I felt, you know, I'm a bit romantic and, and he was. And um, we, he came out, yeah, when we were 19 and um, he proposed to me a year later, a oh. year and a half later. Yeah. Uh, of course I said yes. He had asked what my family, they all knew. Um, and um, and then we were married by, I think, well, it was two, we got married in 2006. Um, so, um yeah, I was, what was, 23, Yeah, I think I was at the time. Tell me about the proposal. Um, we, 
we were working at a cafe. We were, we were working around the clock. I mean, he to, to put him through uni and, and just pay for things. I mean, we'd moved in together by this stage and um, we um, worked at a cafe in Camaray. Um, both of us were working different shifts, but around the clock. And uh, yeah, one night I was working and I remember I was in my, you know, awful, like kind of waitressy black and white t-shirt kind of thing. And um, and you know I was filthy I'd just been mopping floors and he came and picked me up and it would have been at about nine o'clock at night and he said I'm gonna let's go down like have a picnic like you know have some dinner and I was like oh, I'm so you know I'm, I'm tired like can't we just go home and he had a picnic in in the back of the car and I was like okay fine you know and so we drove down to the very end of Blue Point Road um, and he, you know, we got out of the car and, then, you know, it looks right at the Harbour Bridge. I mean, it's a beautiful setting. And, um, yeah, we, we climbed these rocks. He was like, let's get right up on those rocks. And, like, we'll sit up there and we'll watch the lights. And I was like, okay, this is really nice. And um, we hadn't seen each other because, you know, we were both studying and um, working. It was, you know, these moments, I guess, are treasured even if it was later that I was tired. Um, and we got up there and as I was climbing up the rock, I looked around and, yeah, he was on his feet. Aww. How and lovely. Um, and proposed, yeah, 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 it's really so special. Beautiful. So um, when did you finish uni? I finished uni, I would have graduated in, um, what would it have been, 2005 or six. Yeah. Um, probably around the same time we got we got married. Okay. Um, and he was still going. I mean, he was going, you know, there wasn't a time ever in our relationship where one of us wouldn't study. Yeah. So when I graduated, I then went and got my job, but then I was supporting him going through uni. Yeah. Um, and he was doing medicine and surgery at that time. So it was a very intense yeah. um, degree. So, um, And so did you go into the workforce? I did, yes. And what did you do? So I, I started, uh, my first job was with a, a in FMCG, Fast Moving Consumer Goods, and um, I went in as a HR graduate um, in a HR coordinated role I think it was a HR officer at that time actually it was called and um I went in there and uh again some of my best friends to this day um you know I met there and um we um yeah we had in there you know I, I worked there for yeah six or seven years mm. I think I was and just grew through the ranks mm. then um and you were putting Josh through his degree yes. at the same time. Yes. So was he working at all? Yes, he was working at the Red Cross um, and he was doing bone marrow transplants as well. Oh. So um, matching or, you know, for bone marrow. And, uh, yeah, it was – I mean, we were both just working constantly and studying. I mean, our dream then, you know, we were trying to set ourselves up for the future. So, yeah. I mean, people thought we were mad getting married at, you know, such a young age. Mm. But Josh and I knew it was, you know – you're in it for the long haul. Totally, and building yeah. our future together. And what did the future look like? What were the plans after his degree? Yep, so uh, he had a passion to be a doctor. He wanted to be a rural GP um, or uh, work in emergency um, hospital. And uh, he and so we had plans to move to Orange. Um, that's where he always wanted to go. And he was... He actually got a scholarship or he got an entry in um, because he was part of a rural scheme and so there was a commitment for us to go rural yeah. um, after he graduated and, you know, do rural stints and cracks and things like mm. that. So, um, yeah, it was, um, I mean, I guess, yeah, the future looks like 
it was, you know, even though I was quite career, you know, I loved HR, I guess I was doing that to support his career. I think that was more, you know, um, you know, that was the focus, you know, yeah. for him to, to do what he loved and he found such passion. He was brilliant at it. Mm. And he, um, yeah, I mean, we did everything we could to do that. And yeah. Yeah. Set ourselves up. Um, so when was he due to finish that degree? Yeah, so he was due to finish that in 2012. Um, and uh, he never he never got to uh, he never got to graduate. Yeah. Um, which you know after all those years and effort that he put in, yeah, um, heartbreaking to yeah. this day. Yeah. So can you tell us um what happened? I suppose in 2011. Yep. Um. So. He was in his uh, second last year of finishing his degree and he, again, had been doing all of his exams. He was working so hard and he had a a, – my work always did corporate social responsibility and part of my role in HR was to find charity partners that we could put in for workplace giving and, you know, we had a huge focus about that. Our CEO was really passionate about it. And so my job was scouting a lot of, you know, charities and who we should align with as a business, you know, and we had like a, I guess, a, a checklist at that stage of, you know, where we wanted to go. And um, and I'd been there for like six, seven years, so I, I had grown my HR, I guess, capacity. And so um, we, we elected a, a charity called Young Care that was just starting up. Um, it was in Queensland maybe as a footprint and um, they were setting up establishments um, for people that had high care needs. So there's a, you know, a, a, an issue, a massive issue in Australia where people with high care needs, young people, um, have no choice but to be put into old um, nursing homes mm. and, you know, where the average age I guess is, you know, 80 uh, and, you know, you've got people that might have had a car accident, for example, um, have car, high care needs mm. and, the you know, the family unit can't look after them anymore so they're forced to then put them into uh, a nursing home. Mm. And um, it was a real problem and, and we, as a business, really felt like we could back it and, and get behind it and the funding would go into setting up these houses that would have full-time care and, and obviously a better way for these young people to live. And when they came and talked to us, they said that they were going to put on an event that um, to raise money and awareness in Australia um, about the issue. And um, they, you had to raise $35,000 and you would walk the Simpson Desert. Mm. Uh, I think it was 350 kilometres. Yeah, on foot, yeah. and um, you know, obviously that's that's quite a feat, and I think they even had a you know an indication of doing it in a week and a half or two weeks, yeah. and um, so they they said this and they positioned it to our business and said, well, do you do any of you want to go and do this? And automatically our CEO was you know he was all all in, and he said to me, do you, do you want to do it? You know, and or asked other people across the businesses, and I remember coming home and I was talking to Josh about it dinner and Josh was like I'm doing it how do I do it I want to do that yeah I have such I can see this issue I've just been doing he had just been doing his rotation in medicine and working with people with high care 
needs and he he wanted to do it and he so he trained and we had to raise thirty five thousand dollars and so we did you know put on events and um you know got people our friends family to sponsor him and also my work supported him and he worked he walked the simpson desert in may 2011 Mm. um which was i remember when he finished it because i mean obviously a huge you know huge task and feat and he met amazing people like your husband Mm. and where i first met you i guess through that and um he he always said it was the best thing he ever did and uh and putting his body through that also, but not just that, but raising awareness and putting Yankara on the map. Mm. Um, you know, they were the first ever to accomplish walking the Simpson Desert. Mm. Um, and, you know, a huge testament. Incredible. To yeah. And I remember, um, yeah, my husband Pete also um, did that trek for Yankara and the purpose for him to do it was um, in support of a mate that he'd been to uni with in Bathurst who had severe brain injuries after a car accident and was in an old person's nursing home. So, um, yeah, there were a group of people who raised $35,000 each, sometimes more, to do that trek. And that's when Pete and Josh first met on the plane on their way to, I can't, not Burnsville because they ended there. I can't think where they started. We'll have to look that up. Um and yeah, they just instantly had had a really lovely bond, and it was a it was a very special ten days or two weeks for them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was really lovely. Best mates. Yeah, the of it. yeah. I remember when um Pete got back to Birdsville and he rang me for the first time and said that he'd met this incredible man and that they'd fallen in love actually. He'd fallen in love with a man and um, <laughs> he told me all about his wife who was holidaying in – oh, sorry, Pete told me about his mate's wife who was holidaying in New York with her mum. That was you, of course. Yeah. And your mum. Um, and he asked us – he asked me if I could pick him up from the Sydney airport with Josh because you were in New York and you couldn't pick him up. But, of course, you'd arranged for your friend Serena and Luke to pick him up as a surprise. So we yeah. all met there at the airport for the first time, which was incredible. Amazing. Yeah. It was lovely. And then, um, yeah, so what happened in the month after that yeah. incredible Well, he, he was a different person coming out of that. I think he, um, you, know, you know, being out back, um, it was also the very first time that Josh and I had ever been apart since he came to Australia. We had spent every night together um, since, you know, we were 19 um, and doing that nine years later. I mean, we were in, we were inseparable, Josh and I. We did everything together apart mm. from obviously when we were apart working. And, um, and you know, when he came back, he – I think he was a, a little bit lost maybe, um, you know, because he, he just loved it so much and he wanted to do more. I think he kind of came back going, how can I – you know, do more and, you know, got back into his studies and, you know, going from a high and then going back into day-to-day. Mm. I think it was really challenging for him, but um, blessing me then went and did his exams and, he, you know, it was a, it was a full-on year for us um, that, that six months. And at the end of it, we were always planning um, to go back to UK to see his family. We'd, we'd always be trying to go over there every 18 months to two years. And so we, we were like, you know, we've got to go back and have 
Christmas with his family and we were going to stay over there um, for quite some time. I was going to come back earlier um, because we were moving to Melbourne. So his last, I guess, placement with uni um, was going to Melbourne and being in the rural school there. And so we packed up our whole apartment. Everything was in boxes so that when we came back, I could kind of be there to kind of get things on the removalist van. But, you know, Josh was going to spend as much time as he could in the UK because his youngest brother was about to have a baby and he wanted to be there for that. So um, anyway, prior to doing that, I, I felt so strongly that we needed time together before we went over there. And um, also I wanted to celebrate the fact that he just got through his exams and they were big exams. And um, so I said, you know, why don't we do a stopover on the way? We always did a stopover. But we'd mainly just stay for a night and then jump on the plane again. Josh yeah. didn't like flying. Yeah. Uh, was his fear. And, um, and so we... You know, I said, why don't we go? We've never done uh, an island of Thailand. We, you know, we'll fly into Bangkok and then we'll, why don't we go to Koh Samui and Koh Yang and, you know, do a kind of holiday there for uh, a week. And uh, and Josh, Josh loved that idea. You know, we, we hadn't travelled, you know, just the two of us. I guess we were always going, you know, obviously going back home to see his family. Mm-hmm. And, um but we hadn't done much, I guess, just the two of us. Like we always tried to make a trip of it as we did it. And um, so we went there and um, probably one of the biggest regrets of my life now actually um, was suggesting that we do do that stopover um, because it ended in tragedy. Mm. Um, I've lost Josh. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it was a horrible end. That mm. He, he um, yeah, to 2011. So I know um, you went with two friends of yours on that trip. Is that right? Yeah, so we, Josh and I did a, a couple of days by ourselves. We went to an island and we just had downtime and um, we had a, we had had a challenging year that year because, you know, we hadn't seen each other much and, you know, the Simpson Desert and how Josh felt after that. And we, Josh surprised me one night, got these lanterns on the beach and, did a ceremony down there and we renewed our vows um we'd been married for exactly five years and we'd been together for 10 and um nine years I think it was and uh so we it was really special we let go of lantern on the beach and said the most beautiful things to one another and I think I've got that probably is I'm glad that happened because I will hold on to what he said forever mm. Mm. um and after that island, we went to meet our friends, our best friends, Serena and Luke, um, who you met after yeah. the desert. And uh, we had a beautiful weekend, a weekend that was planned with them. They were going over there to see family and, and do things. But we, we met up and, um, yeah, we, we had a weekend together that I think any of us will now not forget. Mm. Um we, you know, went to restaurants and we hired some scooters. Josh really wanted a scooter and uh, and I wasn't keen on it, but, you know, I relented at the last minute and they, Serena and Luke, got a bike as well. And so we were kind of going around the island to Chris Moy and looking at things. And on our last night, we decided that we'd go to this restaurant that people raved about. Um, and we, we went there and we had an amazing meal. Um, I always call it now the last supper because it was a meal I'll never ever forget. And then we went back to our pool villa um, and we all sat around and we had drinks and we were in the pool and we were laughing. I just 
And I even remember Josh saying to me that day, this is the best day, you know, and we're there with our best mates and we're all having so much fun and we were due to fly out to the UK the next day. And that night, uh, you know, Josh decided the next morning that we were talking about these bananas and, and Fisherman Village, which was down the road, and he said, well, before I fly out, like, you know, Luke and I, you know, let's we'll ride down there and we'll get these bananas and I'll go for a, like, ride in the morning and then come back and we'll have breakfast and we'll, we'll check out. And um, and Josh got up and I, I remember vividly his alarm going off, him trying to wake me up saying where was his shoes and his wallet and me mumbling, I, I don't know, like, why are you going? Like, don't go. And Josh being Josh, you know, he was a free spirit, loved adventure, and he was meant to, you know, going up there to meet his mate, and they were going for a ride. And um, and I remember seeing there was a slip of a crack in the curtains, and I remember him, like, running past the door, and I remember seeing his yellow T-shirt. Like, that was the last memory, um, the last time I ever saw him. Mm. And uh, heard the gate close, uh, and then I couldn't sleep. I, I, it's amazing what your body does in preparation, I think, for tragedy. Um, never experienced anything like that before, but it's like it was it was preparing me and I couldn't sleep and then I got up and I had a shower and I started packing our stuff and I, you know, and then I went up and I, I was writing messages to his mum saying, you know, we'll see you soon, like we're about to fly out and sitting up there and I saw Luke and... I remember going, you're meant to be with Josh. Like, where are, why aren't you with Josh? And he goes, where's Josh? And I'm like, he's gone. He went ages ago. And that's when like, this panic came over me because I thought he should be back by now, A, and he's not with his mate. And, um, and you know, I think Luke was like, yeah, well, what's going on? And we went and sat on this turning circle um, on the hotel, where the hotel is, and, when we did, when we saw Luke's scooter and ours was parked next to it and I saw his helmet was on the ground mm. and I was, fear just came over me. I mm. thought, he's on this scooter and he hasn't got a helmet on. And, you know, we, we went to bed late. We'd all been drinking the day before and I don't know, I, I just, I, my, I, my, 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 something wasn't right. And um, especially when we sat there for so long and, I, and he knew we were checking out and I was like, he wouldn't do this to me. He's, he, he wouldn't expect me to pack up and you know he's been gone for hours and so I I went into panic and uh, thank goodness Luke and Serena were there to try and calm me but I went up to the hotel staff and I said you know something's happened to my husband can you you know like he's run out of fuel or can you ring hospitals can you ring the police like we're meant to be flying out in an hour and a half like we're going to miss our flight. Like, I need to find him. And at that stage, you know, we were coming up with scenarios and, and I remember, you know, talking to Luke and, you know, okay, he's just run out of fuel or he's lost, you know, he's he's lost where he's going and, he, you know, I, even though I knew in my heart going something actually bad has happened, but mm. I was hoping, not yeah. optimistic and yeah. the staff there thought I was crazy, mm. you know, whatever, mm. just go and have breakfast. And could they speak English? Yep, yeah, 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 pretty, you know, as staff, they mm. were bilingual. Mm. Um, they could, yeah. And anyway, so we went and sat down at the restaurant and I just kept going up, 
hoping and by this stage we've pretty much missed our flight and I'm furious yet worried, you know. Yeah. Um, and and I just couldn't eat. I remember sitting there and just, you know, what's going on? And then the, the man that we had been talking to where I'd been going, please, you know, see what's going on, came and said um, – there has been an accident on the island and I need you to grab your passports and I need you to come with us. There's mm. a there's a man and, and I said, how bad is it? You know, like, can you tell me more? And, you know, he just said he's got head injuries and I just went, well, of course he does. He wasn't wearing a helmet. And when I went back to the unit and we had to pack up our things or we were in there, I noticed that he had also all of his shoes were there. And I'm like, he hasn't wearing, he's not wearing shoes or a helmet. And I was so angry with him. Mm. Just thinking, why would you be so silly, you know? Mm. And and I remember, yeah, they said we had to go into this car and um, you know, they yeah, I got into this car and there was another person there and I was like, what are they doing? And the security was there and they were all talking in Thai. And I, I could tell by their tone, their pace that they were talking at, that something was – it wasn't adding up, right? And I, it was bad. And Serena and Luke were in the back and I was sitting in the front of the car and um, and I just kept on saying to the man, tell me what's going on. You have to prepare me. Like, is he okay? You know, and the, again, they wouldn't answer. They, they just kept talking and they were like, we're nearly there. I'm like, how far are we going? Like, wh- where are you taking us? We're taking you to the hospital. It's on the other side of the island. And I'm like, why would he be on the other side of the island? You know, his fisherman village was local down there. And this, you know, he kept on saying, this is the, the hospital that deals with serious things. And, oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was heart-wrenching sitting in that car. Mm. And so where were you taken to? Um, we were taken to the hospital, mm. um, which was about a 40-minute drive. And I think, you know, my heart my heart was racing and I was in, I was in panic. I was not coping. You know, when you, you sit there and you go, right, my husband, the love of my life, like there's been an accident. Where is he? And, you know, I guess we were holding on to the optimism, Luke, Serena and I, saying, well, maybe it's just a case of mistaken identity. You know, Josh could be back at the hotel and he's like, where are you guys, you know? And um, and I I remember then saying to the man, I turned to him, I said, stop the car. You need to tell me what's going on. I, 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 can't, go, I can't keep going in this car and not knowing. And the man just looked at me. I'll never forget. And he just said, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry for what, right? I'm sorry for what? What do you mean? What are you sorry about? He goes, he's gone. He's gone. Your husband has passed away. And, I, again, half of me was going, I knew this because, like, my, my body had kind of told me that in a way. But the other half of me was, you know, holding on to every bit of hope going, it's the wrong person. Mm. It surely couldn't be Josh. Mm. And so you arrived at the hospital shortly after that, did you? We did. Um, And as soon as we got there, um, I was confronted by 
the ambulance that had the door open and over there it's, it's very different to Australia. Yeah. You know, Koh Samui, it's it's um it's an island and, and these scooter accidents happen I mean now I know the statistics but they happen every day mm. and people losing their life, foreigners especially. Mm. Um there's no road rules. Yeah. Um and yeah, I just uh straight away we parked right next to it and I saw a body bag um, with the hands out and the people um, cleaning up his hands. I just saw, you know, obviously the impact of the accident and I saw his wedding ring and his cuff bracelet that I gave him uh, for one birthday. Um, and so I knew. Yeah. I didn't need to see any more. I knew that that was Josh. Um and that's that's uh, I don't think I I don't know if I passed out or but um when I came I guess around to understanding you know that this was real um that um that they asked me to go and identify him um which I I couldn't do it I I'd okay. seen enough and I didn't have the strength to do that I didn't yeah. want to um yeah. And I'm indebted the rest of my life to Luke, who mm. offered to do it. Mm. Um, and, you know, he did it and he came back. And, again, I was so hoping that he would say it's not Josh, yeah. you know. But I knew, I, said, I took one look at him and I, yeah. I knew. Yeah. What a great mate. Was, the best. Yeah, he was wonderful in that moment. And what happened in the coming days? I mean, you're in a foreign country where English is not their first language. You're supposed to be on a flight to the UK. Parents are waiting for you at Christmas time. How on earth do you get through that? Uh, I, to this day, still don't know how I got through it. And I I definitely don't think I'd be here if it wasn't Serena and Luke being there at the time. Mm. You know, in a foreign country where people were so inhumane about what had happened. They treated it like this was just an everyday event. They don't they don't do an investigation. They don't tell you what happened. Um and we got ushered to a police station and I got given his bracelet and his watch um in his and his ring. And um and the bananas, bless him that he went and got for me. Yeah. And you know, they couldn't tell me what had happened. Um mm. there's still no answers, I don't know. You know, was he run off the road? Was it his fault or there's no clarity. Yeah. Um and they treated us, you know, it was awful. Yeah. And I'm so again indebted that Serena was with me and she, you know, has family that are in Thailand and can speak Thai mm. because the death certificate and the documents that we all had to sign and everything was in Thai. Yeah. So I they were telling me to sign things, but I had no idea yeah. what was written. And thankfully, you know, I had someone there that had the knowledge to say not to sign stuff. Yeah. Unless you know it's right. Yeah. And it wasn't right. Mm. So I'm so blessed that people in my family and their family could mm. 
sort that whole because right. I wasn't obviously in the state. No. I still didn't believe it was true and mm. and then we had to go back to the hotel. I, I mean I, I told my mum and my mum had to tell Josh's family that, you know, we were about to arrive in the UK. They were excited. They were about to pass home for Christmas. His brother was about to have a baby. And Yeah. A tragedy. Tragedy. Mm. And um and so we sat in this hotel room, Serena, Luke and I, just absolute, like in absolute shock and pain mm. and everything. And we had to sit there for nearly seventy two hours before any of our family could get there. Yeah. So um Josh's family flew out, his parents flew out, my mum and my uncle flew out together. And I had some amazing friends and some of Josh's best mates that also flew over and my boss at the time. Wow. Who flew over. Yeah. So I got a mate and my best friend, Erica. Yeah. She was living in the UK and bless her, she flew all the way out as well. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And so you had some big decisions probably in that period of what what do we do now? How do we get out of here? And what do yeah, we need to do I next? mean, they treat you so differently, and mm. then you know you have to. What are we gonna do? like? There was all this talk about, you know, Josh's body, and what do we do? And to bring him back to Australia or to the UK was like a first class airfare. It was like twenty grand or something. Yeah. And um, so we had some really difficult decisions yeah. to make, and we decided his family and my family and I. Um, decided that we would cremate Josh. We knew he wanted to be cremated because we lost our best – we actually lost one of our best friends the year earlier mm. um, in a, a, from a heart attack, of, you know. And um, so we'd had that discussion because that was such a challenging time for Josh and I um, to see what he went through, what yeah. we all went through after that. that yeah. we, we openly talked about, you know, what we wanted to happen to us. So I'm glad we had that conversation mm. because I felt very clear about that, but didn't make it any easier. Mm. Um, so we stayed there and I wanted, you know, we were, he was getting cremated over there, but then I had to find the right place. Yeah. And so all of us got, you know, in a minibus and, I mean, my uncle and Luke and, they were amazing, you know. Mm. They just pulled it together and organised so much over there. Um, again, I wasn't in the state to make any decisions. No. But I knew that I wanted to find the right place. And so we just kept going from one temple to another mm. until I found a place that I got an image. I saw that there was um, a Granger Penny tree and um, Josh and I, when we got married, my bouquet was Granger Penny's. Yeah. And so I, I felt he was there and telling me yeah. this is a good place, you yeah. know. And um, that's beautiful. Yeah, it was mm. a beautiful place where we mm. just said goodbye to him. Mm. I know this is so hard for you, Sarah. Thank you so much for sharing this because I think um, people who don't have this sort of tragedy in their lives, especially involving a foreign country really have no idea how difficult times like this can be. Um, but also we've learned since Josh's passing that actually this happens quite a lot to Australian 
family and you just have no idea how to handle it. So I know we've all learnt a lot about um, travel overseas and where you go and what you do and all that. Yeah, since (laughs) since Josh's um, passing. But um, I think, yeah, you're very brave to share this with us. So thank you for that. Um, So... Uh, so he was cremated there. Yeah, he was. And um, it's a very different, again, the Thai people do it very differently with Buddhist. And uh, they don't actually, when you cremate them, it's 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 not like what it is over here. Mm. Um, you get bones and it's in a big kind of urn that's, you know, yeah. I mean, it was a beautiful urn. But we we, I felt very passionate and strong about, his Josh Josh's life was at that time in Australia, but his family and his home, he was from the UK, mm. and I never wanted to make a decision that took Josh away from his family. Yeah, I thought I already did that. You know, he yeah, moved yeah. out here, and yeah. I took him to Thailand. So, um, I wanted them to have half of Josh. Yeah, and I took half. Yeah, and um. And then, you know, I guess we were, we both were, had him. And I mean, I don't think I let go of that urn for, gosh, it went everywhere with me. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, if I went out for dinner, I took him with me. Yeah. I always held it. I slept with it. I, yeah. Yeah. It was um, my connection. And I remember we had a memorial service at, the Freshwater Surf Life Saving Club, is that right? Yeah, yeah. so I think that in was... In December still, right? That, that's it. I mean, it was right before Christmas before he Christmas. died. He died two weeks before Christmas. Yeah. And um, when we were able to leave Christmas, which was the hardest thing I've ever done, mm. you know, feeling like I'm leaving him there. Um, and I flew back with my mum and my uncle. And I... Yeah, it was a, you know, I just had so many friends and network here and I knew that it was only fair for everyone to say goodbye to him mm. and Josh loved the beach and, yeah, we had an amazing service on the 22nd of December right before Christmas um, where hundreds of people came to the beach and mm. we said goodbye to Josh and we did all the things that he would have loved. People sang him songs and... The, your husband said a po- poem for Pete and uh, from Pete, um, and you know we had his surfboard and we had, we we just it it was very Josh yeah and we only served BB his favorite drink yeah um and, and Mount Gay rum, rum. Yeah. Mount Gay yeah and uh, you know and so many people I mean I can't remember the day at all but I just remember how I was so touched by just how many people were there mm. and. Um, yeah, and I remember being being quite overwhelmed with how many people were there, but how many people from different walks of life. And I just thought, this man has only been in Australia for how many ten years, um, and has clearly touched so many people from yeah all walks of life. Like I said, and um, it was it was a very very upsetting day, but. Also, you did it so beautifully, and I remember you um, going out on his surfboard with your brother Locke with some flowers 
and then we all lined the beach and put flowers in the water and you were just the bravest woman I'd ever known. It was incredible. Yeah, he would have been very, very proud of you. Yeah. So what, um, obviously there's a huge mountain to climb after suffering something so terribly and and losing your future. You worked very, very hard together to secure a future. You had big plans. You had all of your furniture and belongings in storage ready to come back after Christmas to move to Melbourne. So where to next? Um, I my, my uncle, um, again, has been a huge figure in my life because of my you know, absence of dad. And he and his wife um, and two kids were so kind um, to... I didn't want to go back to where Josh and I lived at the unit. Um, I, I couldn't fathom walking back in there with all of the bo- things boxed up and memories of Josh. And my sister, bless her, went and packed up and cleaned the place and got out some of the things I needed. And, um, I, and, and so I lived with my auntie and uncle for, gosh, probably, gosh, I don't even know now. But a long time, that mm. year, it was six, seven months maybe. Yeah. Um, but 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 after the funeral here, I I just wanted to be with Josh's family. I actually didn't want to be around. I think you know, I, I, in terms of you know your kind of fight, flight, or freeze response. I think I was in flight. I just wanted to run and run and run away and. Um, my mum, bless her, didn't leave my side. She quit her job and I said, I want to go to the UK. Like, I want to be with Josh's family and friends. And mum was like, okay, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, we we have amazing friends and my brother who's in the airline industry as well. And so we got staff travel and we, we went to the UK and – yeah, I just I, and my best friend Erica was there. Like, so I just I you know I felt like my immediate support people were in the UK, and I, I wanted to be there. I didn't want to be around our home where there's too many memories, mm. and I wanted to be there for you know his brother's baby. I mean, that's why Josh and I were going. Yeah. There. So, Mum and I flew out on uh, New Year's Eve. Yeah. I didn't want to celebrate New Year's Eve. Everyone no. was asking me, "Come to this party." I was like, you serious? My husband died twenty days ago. Like yeah. I'm not, I'm not in the mood. Yeah. Um, and so Mum and I travelled and stayed in London with my best friend, um, for a while. And everyone was, you know, obviously just doing what they could to help me. I mean, I was on suicide watch. I was like, you know, mm. I was not in a good place yeah. at all. I wasn't. I didn't talk to anyone for days. Yeah. Um. And I then went to stay with his family, with mum, and mum and I then went and stayed in Spain for a while together. And I was just doing everything I could just to try and run away. And I remember one of my really good friends from work um, after the memorial gave said to me, you know, this isn't going to make sense now. She'd experienced loss of a partner before. And so I guess she she was one person that I felt could relate. I, I felt at 28 losing the husband that you'd been together with for 10 years and married for five people didn't understand in my friend like people weren't married or 
I don't think people knew just how much my whole life had just I felt finished. Yeah. Um, and so my girlfriend gave me a journal, and she said, "Just write, babe. Just mm. write. if you don't want to talk, just write your feelings down." And so I I did. I started journal writing every single day, and I I did that for three years. I wrote a journal entry every day, just expressing how I was feeling. Um, and I went through every emotion. You know this. I call it Sarah model, shock, anger, rejection, acceptance and help. I went through everything. Um, But I wrote and I I really think that helped me. It was, And I wrote to Josh in there too and I said things that I needed to say to him. Um, I didn't want to go to counsellors. People were constantly trying to send me to counselling and I I just, you know, it's like I'm trained in so so much of this stuff. I, I don't want to go and speak to someone. Yeah. And every time I did it made it worse. Mm. Um, I wasn't ready. Mm. So I and, – and when I went to the UK, I did another funeral over there for Josh, okay. for all of his family and friends because yes. his brothers didn't even get a chance to say goodbye and I was really passionate about that. So we did three fun- – I had to do three funerals for Josh within three weeks, Yeah, which was, you know, saying goodbye. Incredibly and, draining. Oh, gosh. Mm. Um it's but at the same time, one. I knew I he deserved it, that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I wanted him to be sent off mm. as he deserved. Mm. Um, so I stayed over there for a long time until my, you know, I had to come back to work basically or resign or, you know, yeah. what, what was I going to do? And I just, I knew I wanted to work again. I didn't want to stay at home and, you know, sit in my pyjamas all day. I mean, I just, I've never, there was days, absolutely in weeks that I did do that, but there also was a pull for me that I, I wanted to still, you know, go out Live and your life. still do my yeah. things. Um, and I'm just remembering the, um, the scholarship that you created in Josh's memory. Did that happen around that period as well at the Notre Dame University? Yeah, so, I mean, they were amazing. The dean there is incredible. And, and when Josh passed away, you know, they, they in the end also gave me money from the university to go to the UK and just really do, you know, they, they had this, yeah, just crisis money kind of thing. Yeah. And they were absolutely amazing the dean still rings me even though it's been nine years she rings me every anniversary of josh wow and she's an incredible woman and um they josh's dad you know felt really passionate about um he josh you know he he wanted to be a doctor Mm. and we wanted to acknowledge that he was a doctor in his memorials yeah we wanted to say this dr josh got called yeah and um and so they awarded his posthumous degree. So I actually went to his graduation, a, a graduation ceremony for the year cohort. It was a, a, above Josh. Yeah. And they included him in that graduation yeah. and acknowledged. I got his testimony. Yeah. Um, which I, you know, framed and given one to his family, and you know, his stethoscope I, I gave to Pete. Yeah. Um, and you know, there was. Yeah, that, it was a it was a it was a good milestone because we we got to acknowledge what we worked so hard to, and mm. you deserve that. Mm. And can you tell me about the bursary that 
available? Is that ongoing each year? Yes. So then the, the university has created um, the Josh Scott Paul uh, Prize for Rural uh, Medicine, um, given that that was Josh's passion and, and where he exceeded at uni in those subjects. Um, so it is a memorial fund, mm. basically, that Notre Dame, the university he was at, um, have created for people that go through crises in their degree. Um, it's money that can be then used to support them um, in their family. Mm. Uh, and there's also a prize that goes with, uh, that it's separate, but it's, a, again, in his memory, it's called the Josh Scott Paul Prize uh, for Rural Medicine and um I award that every year. I go to each graduation every year. I've done that every single year. Yeah. And I award it to the student, the dean. It's the same dean and she always invites me to come. And I, 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 I will do that for as, every year that I'm on this planet. Yeah. I will do that in memory of Josh. Yeah. It's a, and it's always around his anniversary. So yeah. it's a tough time it for me each yeah. year. But it's a positive, I yeah. feel, in that we're recognising yeah. and remembering. Absolutely. It's amazing. And and also for um to encourage medical students to go rural as well. And we all know um we have a big shortage of of medical people and um other professions wanting to go to rural areas. So it's yeah, it's really amazing in many aspects to have that. Um so I guess in the the following years um, after Josh's death, you really had to almost rewrite your identity and, and find a new purpose in in your life. So how did that look for you? Um, I, after spending some time with my auntie and uncles and I slept on people's couches for that first year where I just, I hopped to everyone, you know, just to, I guess, try and make me happy. And I had amazing friends that would just, you know, let me stay at their places. And one of my girlfriends from school, I, I lived with her for a while at, down at Lavender Bay and she let me stay there. And, I mean, there was just so many people that came uh, and helped me and my auntie in particular that arranged so many things, you know, finances and all the awful things you've got to go through. Um you know, she she did all of that for me and, you know, things that I just could never have done, mm. um, you know, Josh's will and, you know, just just awful things we yeah. had to do. And um, I, I, I knew once Josh died that my whole life had changed and there was a time where I was, you know, to be really transparent, planning that I wasn't going to be here Um and had some very, very dark days, very close days that, again, you know, Luke, my shining armour, came and rescued me um, and, you know, got mm. me through those times. Mm. Um, and um, I, I, once I, once I kind of, and I remember it vividly, I saw a quote and it said, you know, there are, there are three people in this life, you know, you've got victims you've got fighters um, or you've got, the, you know, the people that are the angels or, the, you know, the people that can shine through. And I remember seeing that quote and going, I'm a victim right now um, and I don't want to be labelled as a victim. I, I don't want this to define me mm. for the rest of my life. Mm. It is going to be a huge part of my life mm. always and 
but I don't want it to ruin me. And mm-hmm. I don't. I knew Josh wouldn't want that for me. Mm-hmm. I think that was where the main motivation came yeah. from. Is he was such a free spirit and loved life mm. and lived it to the fullest. Mm. I think that's one thing I can say. These 28 years, he lived life. Mm. Um, that I, I knew I had to, you know, start my life again and, and yeah. start my career. It was always focused on Josh's, you know, but now I had to, I had to pay bills. I had to mm. support myself. Mm. Um, so I, 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 my, I channeled everything into my work mm. and I read every single self-help book that was out in the market at the time I could get my hands on I read I, that's all I did I read and I read and I read and I read and I it gave me so much more clarity mm. around what I wanted to do yeah and I wanted to help other people that were going through any adversity mm. I had gone through something at 28 years old that, and my upbringing as well that I knew uh, I saw resilience at the forefront. I saw that um, I had a choice and, you know, how do I bounce back from this adverse situation? And so I, I channeled everything into trying to help and support others. I, I put out positive affirmations all the time. I, yeah. I, I kept writing. I was writing like book or my journal. Um, I, you know, then decided that I wanted to go into learning and development and yeah. train people mm. on resilience, mm. well-being, all the things that I had personally lived that I could couple that with theory to support others. Mm. Um, and I'm just remembering also, Seth, with the um, the ball that you put on at, Dolphin House, was it? Yeah. yeah. So I, 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 you know, and and my firm belief always is when people die, they shouldn't just be gone and forever gone and mm. forgotten. They should live on, mm. and I will always want Josh to live on. I don't want him to be taboo in conversation. I talk about him. I bring his name up. I celebrate him and his significant dates his birthday our wedding anniversary his anniversary you know I will always do that yeah and because he shouldn't he's 28 and he had such a huge impact and defined who I am today yeah um and so when he died I wanted to do everything I in particular I really wanted because he was such an ambassador for young care I wanted to continue that legacy for him and create a legacy so I put on a charity ball. Yeah. Um, and that was just the year after it was. he died, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And um, and I did runs and marathons yeah. and things like that mm-hmm. in Melbourne. And, yeah. Um, and then we did this ball and we raised – I put on two balls since he passed and we had – it was a huge success. Yeah. We had hundreds of people came, come. We had, you know, keynote speakers yeah. um, that – were incredible yeah um and we we celebrated young care and the charity that it is and raised money and awareness Mm. for them and i think in total we've nearly between josh and i Mm. i think donated over a hundred grand to young care um and yeah Yeah. i mean i was i was super passionate about doing that in josh's memory yeah and it was an amazing night we did go to the ball at dolphin house and you were you were just remarkable and it was uh, state of the art ball, no, no detail was missed. 
it was just incredible and you spoke beautifully and I remember the speakers and the auction and yeah it was just a wonderful night and incredible that you were able to do that in such a short time yeah the turnover was really amazing um well um, I'm doing another one next year so you'll have to come <laughs> for his 10 year anniversary it's, yeah. it's it's gonna happen yeah um so yeah stay tuned stay tuned okay so, um, so yeah, you've got sort of you're going back into the workforce and just trying to get um, a new grasp on what your life will look like going forward. Um, did you have any new relationships or um, friendships or yeah, sort of what happened after that in that way? Um, I think you know I had. Um I think you know putting your life back together is is a I mean it's still it's still happening you know nine years later mm. I'm still every day learning something new self-discovery about myself and you know what I've gone through and how to channel that in a positive way um and I I have had some incredible people that have come into my life over the past nine years um I mean obviously my existing you know network but um, I met an incredible man um, a couple of years after after Josh passed, a year, a year and a half I think it was, and um, he had just lost his dad to suicide um, and was, and was you know, he was going through obviously his own grief and I was still in my early stages of grief and we had an incredible friendship um, where we talked and we, we supported one another and... Um, I met him randomly just up at a local um, activewear shop. You know, he was one of the sales assistants in there and we just got talking and I think I broke down and my sister-in-law and my girlfriend were with me and they were, you know, again going, just go and ask him, you know, for his number or something. And I was like, God, no, you know. Mm. And I think they gave my number yeah. without me knowing um, and he rang me. Yeah. And he asked me out for a coffee. And so we, we started talking and um, that friendship grew. It was my first relationship after Josh. Um, you know, there was a, a huge amount of trust there with Ed and um, he was a incredible, credible support. Mm. I think we both were for each other. We were going, as I said, through the motions. And um, we were together um, for, for a year um, and then he... He started battling from mental health um, and depression, and it it became too big mm. for me. Yeah. Um, it absolutely broke my heart when we decided it was best for us to go our own ways. He was very conscious that yeah, he was having an impact on me, and I wasn't coping, and I couldn't. I was trying to rescue him, and I, I just it wasn't healthy, mm. um, and. You know, he um, unfortunately, you know, went on his journey after that, but he ended up committing suicide mm. um, and that broke my heart yeah. um, because, um, look, there was a lot of different guilt emotions and yeah. lots of things that, again, I think the band-aid of my grief came off again. Yeah. And I then was compounded by the loss of Josh 
who I loved so much, this new person who I, you know, gave me so much support and I'm so grateful for those days. He made me laugh. He made me smile. He yeah. loved me. I felt love again. Yeah. Um, and then my grandmother, who has been such a huge role model in my life, passed away too. So I, I think with grief, people feel it's kind of probably common in society that you don't know what to say to people when they're going through grief mm. and that people have perceptions of how you should behave and how you should act. And I had a lot of people in my life that were trying to help but were saying things that weren't helpful mm. <laughs> and made me feel like I should be doing things differently. Um, and that was really challenging for me because – there was a perception that, you know, after a year of grieving for someone that you should be okay. Yeah. And and you shouldn't, you know, do do the things like I was doing to honour him or speak about him or write and pour my heart out on posts or in my journals and, and things like that. And so and put on balls and and that was a really challenging time and I think where I really again, your support network, you realise who is there unconditionally yeah. cheering you on, championing you, uh, doesn't have expectations that they put on you. Um, and that I felt very alone. I think after a couple of years of Josh passing, I think actually because you're numb initially, I, I definitely was in shock and numb. I, I don't think I really knew what I felt or what I was experiencing and I, I kept on using work as my distraction mm. as a coping mechanism and um, and then I became really alone and they were probably the darkest days that I had. It was probably years later yeah. um, where people thought I was fine. Mm. I was smiling again. I was happy. They could see I was functioning. Um, but behind closed doors, I was in a very, very dark place mm. and that only probably a few people know and I felt were there for me at that particular time. Yeah. Um, so what brought you out of that period? Oh, God, amazing people. Um, I had a, uh, a boss or a mentor that really gave me a go, I mm. guess, so to speak. I, I felt so passionate about learning and development and um, wanting to to train people, and I, I, I wasn't I – wasn't I'd done HR, which is, you know, part of, I guess, L&D, but I was always a generalist HR and um, and you know, doing L&D is completely different skill set. Mm. You know, you're training people, you're standing up and talking, which was a fear of mine. I hated public speaking. Mm. But it soon became, I, I started being on the speaker, speaker circuit for young care and I was starting to talk about resilience and my story mm. and sharing it in a, uh, events in the industry and so I, I I guess I really then felt maybe with all of the shit crap that I've gone through that this is maybe what I am mm. meant to do you know it's helping me at the same time as potentially helping others which I was the absolute motivation was how do I get people to be resilient yeah um and so my boss gave me a go and and hired me to head up L&D mm. um, and roll out training uh, and do it across the globe. Yeah. Um, so I travelled a lot for my work. I, I worked, you know, 
in amazing places. I got to see the world. You know, I went to London, New York, San Francisco, Italy, Germany. Like, it, you know, and it really, I, I owe a lot to my company and, and to those people because um, they helped me significantly in my grief. I probably didn't realise, but it was it was when I started to feel strong again and that I had a purpose. Mm. And, you know, part of well-being is, you know, you have goals and you have a purpose and you have positive emotions and you have meaning and you're feeling like you're accomplishing things. And that was that was a really defining moment for me. Yeah, that's really wonderful. Um, and so you did that for a couple of years working in that role, did you? Yeah, and I'm still there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I've been there... Uh, the most part of seven years, yeah. Mm. And so I'm amazing, you know, my team and uh, the people that I've met there. I mean, they've had such an impact on me mm. uh, and I love my job. I love what I do. Mm. I get out of bed every morning and I am so motivated mm. um, to do what I do. Mm. And, um, yeah, I've definitely found I feel, you know, where I'm meant to be. Yeah, that's so wonderful. Um, and then, of course, I know you met somebody special again a couple of years after Ed passed away. Yeah. Can you tell me how you met him? Yeah. So uh, I guess, yeah, I was a broken human and I had incredible people in my life. Um, my brother, after after Josh passed away and, and in these challenging times, he was a pilot and he came and lived with me. I brought a place and um, he came and lived with me and, and you know, it was was incredible support again in those really tough, challenging times. And it, it really helped our relationship too. We, we grew so close in those years. And um, and he met someone um, that is now my sister-in-law and one of my best friends. And she, I guess, you know, she never knew Josh. Um, she'd met Ed. Um, but she um, really bless her, wanted me to meet someone and was doing everything she can to set me up and uh, do real things. And she, they were getting married um, that year and she, there was one of my brother's best mates that he actually knew from his schooling. I never met him. His name's Lachlan as well. Um, and, uh, you know, Kiri was, uh, you know, she, she, just thought that it was the right match. He was going through, uh, he was coming out of a break breakup from an engagement, so he was going through a lot, and she just felt he had a good heart and was a good man. She said, and um, so she actually talked to him and said, "Hey, what about Lachlan's sister?" You know, and um, and the same thing to me. She was saying, and my brother was dead against it. Was like, "This is not going to end well. I'm going to lose my best mate or my sister. Like, not good." But Kiriana just kept pushing it and setting us up. And so out of the blue one day, I got a Facebook friend request uh, from a Lachlan Barnes saying, I know you don't know me, but a little birdie told me that you would look forward to meeting me at their wedding. And I was like, okay, I never said that, but okay, whatever. And and then so I rang up Kiriana. I was like, what is this? And who is this guy? And she's like, this is the guy I was telling you about. And so I accepted his friend request and he just kept writing to me. And then he said to me, can I call you? And we were just having marathon chats yeah. um, on the phone. And, 
it just so happens that he was actually living with my brother when Josh died. And he helped my brother through his grief. Yeah. So he's always been connected. He knew about Josh, which I think, and because he was my brother's best mate and and saw obviously what he was going through, that even though I never knew him because they lived in Queensland, like it was... It was really nice because yeah. I felt like I didn't I could be genuine and I could talk about something that he already knew about. Yeah. So I didn't have to start again. No. Mm-hmm. And it was an easy conversation. Mm-hmm. And he was so committed. He mm-hmm. just he'd say he would bring me at such a time and he would bring me at such a time. Yeah. And he just yeah, we just and so we did this chatting uh, without meeting each other for months. Yeah. And um and you know, I, 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 I mean, I wasn't holding on to anything. I just thought, you know, it's a nice person to chat to, and um, I was chatting to, you know, heaps of other people at the same time. So yeah. it was, it was it a, um, you know, exclusive. it was an exclusive thing, and it wasn't on his side. It was just nice, it was yeah. a nice friendship, and and that's probably how all of my relationships now in reflection have started. Yeah. You know, just chatting. Yeah. And um, and then it was my birthday. And I was going out with, you know, my work friends and, and some of my best mates here. And um, and a girlfriend um, said to me afterwards, she goes, oh, I can't wait for you to go home because there's a surprise for you. And she'd been speaking to Locke also online because we'd been chatting, obviously. And, um, and so she, you know, kind of intimated to me that there was a surprise and I came home and there was no surprise. And then Lachlan called me and he was on a surfing trip in Bali with his, uh, some of his best, uh, best mate of his. And um, he said, did you get my surprise? And I go, mm, I don't know what you're talking about. And um, he had tried to organise flowers for my birthday from Bali and they never arrived. Oh. And so he was devastated because he'd obviously tried to coordinate this with my girlfriend yeah. and it never eventuated anyway. Um, so... It was like I was talking to him and it was like midnight. It was, you know, it was crazy. And and so he said to me, okay, well, if they didn't come, if they didn't arrive, I want you to jump in a plane tomorrow to Bali. And I was like, what? I've never seen you. And what, what do you mean come to Bali? I was like, I've got work on Monday. He's like, just come for like 24 hours, 48 hours. And I, I remember thinking, and I'd had a few drinks because it was my birthday, and I was like, oh, okay, maybe, you know, <laughs> like should I do this? And yeah. I, I remember thinking about it and I was talking about it with my girlfriend. I like messaged her and she's like, just do it. You know, you've got staff travel. Like, just get on the plane. Like, what's going to, you know, what's going to harm? What, no harm. And, uh, and I was like, no, surely not. You know, use the staff travel. I don't know. Anyway, I woke up the next morning to a ticket from Lachlan. Oh. And, and basically, you know, him saying, I'll see you in Bali yeah. in however many hours. And I just remember freaking out. Real conversation. I rang Kiriana. I was like, "Is he really a good guy? Like, should I do?" She's like, "Absolutely, get on the plane." And she was backing it. And you know, my family were like, "Absolutely, no way, Sarah. What are you doing? You can't do that." They were worried about me, understandably. And I rang my boss at the time, and I was like, "Uh, so, um, I don't know if I'll be at work on Monday. I'm really sorry about the late notice. Can I take annual leave?" I've, and she goes, of course, you know, like, no problem. And I'm like, okay. She's like, why? Well, anyway, I translated yeah. and I told her, and she's like, Sarah, you jump on that way now. <laughs> and gave me a huge push to do it. And um, and so I did it. How I remember amazing. being at the airport, getting on the plane, ordering a gin and tonic, 
going, how am I going to do this? Yeah. And arriving at this place, I didn't even know what the guy looked like hardly. I mean, we'd seen photo of, you know, a little photo on his Facebook, but I didn't know how tall he was or anything. Yeah. And so I, um, he said, how am I going to identify you? And I was like, right, yeah, good point. And I, for Secret Santa that year, previous from my birthday, my CEO gave me a hat because I was obsessed with rosé, saying, yes, way rosé. It was fluoro pink. I said, don't worry, you'll identify me by this hat. And so I, I was sitting there with this, you know, hat on, sitting on my suitcase, and, yeah, he, he waltzed on uh, up to me and we met. Yeah. Bali Airport. Yeah. And what were your first impressions of Lachlan? Well, I was pleased he was taller than I thought. Yeah, I was hoping that he was going to be tall, so that was a positive sign. And he was just a gentleman. He um, was so kind and, yeah, we just, it was really, it was like we'd known each other for ages. I guess we had been talking for several months, but, you know, it's kind of weird meeting someone face-to-face that, Um, you've never met before but you know so much about so it was it was really lovely um we had a great weekend I was there with his best mate and yeah it was it was really nice okay and what happened after that you came back to Australia I guess after the weekend yeah, came back left and I mean it was a whirlwind I was not even on the ground for 36 hours I still look back and I go gosh I really did take a huge leap of faith mm. And, um, but it felt right. I'm not a risk taker normally. So, um, and then I came back and, you know, he just kept ringing me. I I didn't know. I kind of left Bali uncertain Mm. whether, you know, there was something more than a friendship, but, um, he, he just kept calling and, you know, my brother's wedding was a month later, not even. And so we were obviously catching up then and, um, and, yeah, so up until the wedding, we just kept talking. And then when I saw him, uh, he asked to be out. <laughs> he asked my oh. mum, actually, for permission first. And and then, yeah, it was – and I think I said no initially because I was really unsure about long distance. and Because you know, where was he living? He was living in Queensland. Oh, okay. Yeah. So on the Gold Coast? On the Gold Coast. Yeah. And uh, – I didn't, yeah, I didn't want to do long distance yeah. and um, I wasn't sure how it would work. But mm. I think his perseverance and his, you know, he was very, he was very certain that things could work. Mm. Um, and so he just kept on yeah. pursuing it. And I suppose um, it was complicated because you'd had two huge losses prior to him. But then there's a man that's entered your life who is so caught up in your family's life in a way through your brother. So there was a lot of risk there in yeah, a way. So yeah, a lot of risk. So it wasn't easy. Yeah, I, I, I think my brother was incredibly cautious about it. Mm. Um, his wife, Kiri, uh, was, you know, all for it and, mm. and just knew it would work. She was so positive about it. Um, so that was reassuring for me because mm. I probably did need someone to be you know, reassuring me yeah. that it was a good move and that he was a good person. Yeah. And I think the whole time he knew my story about mm. and everything I'd been through and he was so compassionate. I think, you know, previous times when I'd met people, 
they ran away. It was too scary. It was too much baggage. They didn't want to take it on. But Locke has such a kind heart and he's so loyal and he never made me feel like, you know, my past was going to impact he and I um, and that he just was a constant support and confidant him. He, he, to this very day, has been. Yeah. So what happened after that? So um, your brother's wedding, he asked you out. Yeah. And you did say yes eventually, I presume. Yeah. I yeah. went overseas for a work trip and I was away for six weeks and he kept calling me. And Aww. so I think I, I, I said, yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then when, when I got back to Australia, we, you know, I, I went up north once every month or he came here. Yeah. Um, based on our work schedules and we did that um, long distance for about eight months and um, then we you know we went over to Hawaii for um, his birthday and we he he just said to me one night over dinner he's like I'm ready to move to Sydney um, and that was a big thing for me because Knowing he was moving to Sydney, um, he didn't know anyone here, so he was moving here for me. And I think it did bring up the past a bit for me because Josh did that for me too. Mm. And so I knew it was serious. It wasn't just a dating relationship. It was like this man is leaving his family and his mm. life and his job and his friends for me. Um so I knew where his head was at and I t probably wasn't at the same page yet. And so it was a quite a rocky start for us when he moved to Sydney because um, it really was confronting for me and quite scary. Mm. And, again, to Locke's credit, he just stuck at it, you know, whereas so many people probably would have run. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, there was lots of emotions that he – you know, someone coming into my space and, you know, I'd never lived with anyone since Josh. Mm. Um, so that was a huge step forward for me. Mm. Um, yeah, it yeah. was very frightening. And then, um, well, I guess things did start to work out and you found your, your groove with each other and he asked you to marry him at some point. Yes. Yeah. So a year... A year pretty much after he moved to Sydney, um, we went to the Cook Islands for my sister-in-law's 30th birthday um, and Lachlan had organised and he told all my family um, that he was going to do it and he didn't know where my head was at but he really, for Locke, he's such a true romantic and he, he wanted to he wanted to make that commitment Um and so, yeah, we were over there and as soon as we landed, he, yeah, it was that morning I hadn't slept. We'd been on the plane all night. Again, these proposals for me, mm. just so out of the blue. I had no idea. I was more shocked than I've ever been. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah. He, um, he, he proposed. That's so nice. <laughs> Island. And I remember he asked, um, permission from your mum and your grandfather. He asked every member of my family, yeah. my sister, my brother, yeah. my grandparents, everyone knew when I got on that plane what was happening and apart from myself. And it was a really, I remember when he asked me, I, you know, it was 
obviously I felt really special, but at the same time, enormous guilt and, you know, saying yes and agreeing to get married again was something that I knew I was closing a door shut on Josh um, and that part of our life. And it did take me, again, there was a lot of emotion and luck stuck with me mm. um, while I worked through it. And, um, you know, I had to do some deep soul searching around, you know, I guess not feeling guilt. Mm. And that's a really hard emotion to work through. Yeah. Um, but knowing that I, I, I couldn't imagine my life now without locking it. Mm. So this was, I guess, the way forward with him. Yeah. Um, I also remember he asked Josh's family yeah. for permission. He, he's a, he's or for a their blessing, I should he, say. Uh, as soon as he proposed, he said to me, I didn't even um, I, I didn't even bring it up, but I think he knew because I was obviously really emotional and, and, and expressed to him, you know, the guilt and the emotions that I was feeling. And he said to me, I really would like to ring the Scott Falls and be the one to tell them. Um to yeah, get to get. I, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not blessing or approval, but more so to do the right thing by them. Yeah. I think Locks always had an enormous amount of respect for for Josh and you know me and Josh and mm. Josh's family, and he wanted to do the right thing. He mm. didn't want them to find out any other way. He yeah. wanted to hear, speak to them directly, and you know, he's such a gentleman to do that. Mm. And I, I'm sure that they really appreciate that as well as hard as that was. Mm. I'm sure to get that phone call mm. um, and hear that. But they've always been such, you know, I, I, we're still very much in each other's lives. I look at them also as, you know, other parents to me. I spent 10 years with them and um, they've always, you know, given me, I guess, blessing and reassurance. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's so nice. Um, so how long after you were engaged did you get married? Uh, a year to the day pretty much. Oh. Yeah. And where were you married? Um, we chose to get married locally in, um, well, in Sydney, um, in Whale Beach. Yeah. It was beautiful, I have to say, because I was there. It was lovely. A very cold June day. Yeah. yeah. And it was, it was a very challenging lead up. Um, I was really blessed to have Josh's brothers come out, um, mm. two of his brothers, and, and that, you know, meant the world to me to be able to have that support, you know, and feeling um, reassured and, and seeing them connect with Lachlan um, and how well they all got along. It was a really important step in my um, healing um, process but in addition to that you know the day before the wedding was excruciating for me I, I don't think I've ever cried that much apart from obviously the aftermath of Josh's death but I I felt again this guilt was I doing the right thing um, am I ready to take my rings off I mean that was a huge step um, taking off my engagement and wedding ring, taking off Josh's ring that I wore every single day around my neck and putting them away 
you know, mm. and knowing I needed to do that as a symbol to Lachlan that, you know, I'm your wife and um, but that was the most challenging thing for me. And I, and I think that a lot of, I, I guess, my immediate support that was around me, it was, it was confronting for them to see too because I, I'm sure out of concern for me they were going, you know, are you actually ready? Mm. to get married mm. you know look at how you how many tears you're having and you know how sad you are you this this is a happy occasion and I don't think you are one that hasn't been in that exact position where you're you've been married you've lost someone you're about to get married of course I was excited and I knew that that was my future but to say goodbye to your past in a very symbolic way is no easy feat. Yeah. And it was the time, apart from obviously laying Josh to rest, that was me saying I'm not your wife anymore, you know, and um, or, or, you know, I'm moving forward mm. um, and setting up my future with someone. Mm. And that was agonising. Yeah. I, I honestly was in, in not a good place mm. the day before our wedding. Mm. I remember. Um, tell us about what you did with your engagement ring. I've got a um, – I knew by taking off my rings I wanted to do something also symbolic and my bridesmaids um, and my mum had been there for me, you know, at that time, you know, eight years um, that, you know, I had been grieving and seen me go through every single motion and they were connected to Josh. Um, they were good friends of him or family to him and each one of my bridesmaids, you know, had a very special part to play in my grief and my journey and so I got the my engagement ring and it had shoulder diamonds around the, the main stone and I got a jeweller um, to make a pendant necklace for all my bridesmaids with the stones, the diamonds from my engagement ring. And mm. I gave them that necklace mm. um, on the day of the wedding. They didn't, they had, no one knew that yeah. I had done that. And uh, I feel it was a hard thing for me to, again, I, you know, the ring is not now, not yeah. here. I, I have the, the main stone and it was made into a pendant for me and I've kept my wedding band and Josh's band. They're together in a little box together. Yeah. Um, my sister helped me take those rings off again. I couldn't have done that without her um, and her husband. They were incredible support to me. But, um, yeah, I feel really good that, you know, my girls and my mum have that, those, yeah. that, you know, part of Josh That's and wonderful. part of me. and. Yeah. You know, very, very special. Really, really special. Mm. So how were you on your wedding day after a difficult lead-up? It was amazing. I, I woke up and I remember I had so much excitement and I couldn't wait to see Rock and it felt like I think I needed to purge and go through all of that emotion. I think it was a part of my grief to get that clarity and I woke up knowing that I was in the right place and I was with the right man and, you know, saying my vows to him, um, like, I'll never forget that. It was such a 
I felt like it was just me and Lachlan and there was no one else there and I felt so connected at that point and grounded to, you know, Lock mm. um, and, and you know, how special he is. I mean, he's an, he's an incredible human being to go through all of this with me, stick by me, offer me support constantly and be my biggest cheerleader. I mean, he – I just – I couldn't love him more. He's, he's, yeah, he's everything. And I I felt like I was opening up a new chapter and I was excited to do that. Mm. It felt right. Mm. That's so nice. And I know we love him too. And um, he just seems like your perfect person and and really the only one that could um, step in and take on what you've been through and just do it so beautifully. Yeah, he's a special man. Very special soul. Yeah. I'm very grateful and yeah. blessed. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you went on a around-the-world honeymoon for a couple of weeks, was it? Yeah, we, Locke and I both thought, you know, and especially given everything that, you know, he had gone through in his previous relationship and mine, that, you know, life's short and we're never going to get this opportunity probably again. Let's go around the world and just have we call it the honeymoon of a lifetime. Mm. And so we both one night said, you know, let's go for six weeks. We both knew we could take that much leave and where do we want to go? And so we put the destinations in a hat, you know, he put two in and I put two in and just your dream destination. Like, you know, nothing was a concern, like where would you want to go? And so we pulled them out of the hat and that was our itinerary. We did it. Yeah. So we went to all the places we'd ever dreamed of and um, had the most magical honeymoon Mm. and came home with a permanent souvenir. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and what was that? Uh, A baby on the way, um, which was an incredible shock, Um, but amazing. I mean, it was something definitely, you know, I've always dreamed of being a mum and, you know, I I guess after Josh I never thought that that would be a reality. I'd closed that off in my mind and again that was incredibly painful but I I just didn't think it would ever eventuate so you know to meet Lachlan and you know I think I'm you know I was 36 uh, at the time that you know we we conceived or 35 I might have been mm. um so what you know it was a it was a real blessing for mm. us yeah and then in March last year Indiana was born Indiana yes, yes. um Indiana Faith and, uh, yeah, the best day of my life yeah. by far. How um, yeah, absolutely. It was a dream. Yeah. And now she's about one and a half. Yeah. Cruising around. Talking nonstop. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely my crazy personality. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, looks like a dad. So, yeah. That's yeah. Lovely. It's a lovely blend and it's a beautiful thing, I think, to see, you know, especially the relationship. Indy has with Lachlan um, because I never had that as a dad. You know, I never had a dad, so to speak, blood dad, mm. um, that was involved, was involved mm. or, or really cared and wanted to be a dad. Mm. And so seeing that for me has been a huge, it's just been so special to see yeah. because I see the look in her eyes and how much she needs a dad and I see how much he adores her mm. and 
it's 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 been very healing it's been a mm. lovely thing to experience yeah that's so nice um so what do your sort of day-to-day life look like now with the three of you and, uh, and how is yep. josh a part of your family if at all do yeah you recognize i mean him? hundred he will always be a part of our life and i i you know when lachlan proposed we had some very you know dnms or your heartfelt conversations around mm. how would it look i wanted to make sure that you know by saying yes or marrying lachlan that he knew that josh would always be a part of my life and um it's he will never be taboo to be talked about he his anniversaries and his special occasions will be celebrated um and i don't ever want to feel guilt about that mm-hmm. um because that that is incredibly painful and i don't think it's you know the right thing yeah um and i firmly believe that so um and and he always has said that he never has a problem with it absolutely he can completely understand that um you know we've talked about if it wasn't for COVID we would have gone over to the UK this year he really wanted to meet the Scottville family in the extent and he knows that I've always seen them every 18 months and I will always continue to do that once COVID again yeah uh, goes um but yeah we we live um in Balmoral and um have where I laid Josh to rest here um, is down in Balmoral. It was one of his favourite spots that he used to fish at. So I'm really blessed to live close to that place, special place. And um, my dear friends put a plaque up um, down there, uh, which I go and visit. I used to visit it daily and, you know, have chats with him. And um, But Lachlan comes down with me now. Indy does too. And, you know, I want her to also know that that was a huge part of my life and defines, again, certain attributes and values and beliefs that I have and, you know, why I am the way I am and why I am the person I am and mm. um, I want her to really know that. Mm. So um, we go down there um, and it's a special place for me. Yeah. I feel connected to, to Josh when I'm down there. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, so what are some of the big life lessons that you have learnt? Um, certainly probably in the last 10 years, um, yeah, where you've really been tested beyond belief. What, yeah. how do, what do you take moving forward and what would you like to instil in your children to try and help them to grow into... Um, resilient adults yeah it's a great question I I mean I I have many practices and techniques that I've adopted over years that have really helped me I mean we all have bad days and um you know there's things that creep up on you and they can bite and and be really difficult to work through so um I I journal I still journal I don't do it daily like I did at the start but Anytime I have a really challenging or difficult emotion to work through, I, I, I choose to write um, and it really helps. It's, you know, a way that I express myself and um, and I've, you know, been asked to write a book, um, which I'm, 
you know, using all my journals and my diary entries to, to write. And I think that will be a next, um, hoping to, you know, get that out by next year. Mm. Um, and then, um, you know, my work and the, the work that I do in terms of resilience or, you know, any of the, I guess, programs that I run, um, you know, I have been because I've learnt things from thought leaders or, you know, self you know, reading. I read all the time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, certain theorists like, uh, you know, Simon Sinek and Susan David, um, you know, have had a profound impact. And I, you know, live my life really trying to unpack situations. So, um, you know, every time there's a situation or an event, um, you know, probably one of the biggest aha moments was for me that I – I can't control life and I can't control other people. Um, but what I can control is how I react to situations. So, um, you know, your, your thoughts influence how you react. And and that was a huge aha moment for me, um, knowing that even if I was having a tough day, I could choose how I respond to that yeah. um, in a positive way. Yeah. Um, so I do a lot of, um, you know, I guess unpacking situations, following my values and my beliefs um, and, you know, I guess strategies that I've learnt, talking things through uh, and, you know. Mm. And what do you think you'll do with um, with Indy and future children um, to help? them build on skills like that will you be um sort of an open open communication family do you think and and try and help them work through things yeah i i, I think that you know once you're a parent you see life in very different ways mm. and obviously them being the most important thing and you want to always protect them and I guess you do have that sense of wanting to wrap them up in cotton wool and never want them to get hurt or upset or go through negative events or situations or adversity. Um, but I've learned um, through everything that I've gone through that I choose to look at it that I have a gift in terms of I, I haven't had a crazy life. It's been incredibly turbulent. Um, but I really understand the depths of emotion i i know what it likes it, it feels like to have hit rock bottom and have the lowest of the low days and i also know what it feels like to feel elated and mm. the best memories that i've ever had and that euphoric moments mm. and then i know what it's like just to have a good day and be grateful i practice gratitude daily rocklin and i do it every night before we go to bed and we we call it the attitude of gratitude and we say what are three things that you're grateful for today or that made you smile yeah and we do it with indy as well now when we go to bed i don't think she understands it yet yeah. but um we're really trying to instill gratitude um and positive emotions with her but also we don't want to protect her and wrap her up in cotton wool so i guess an example of that would be you know if she was working on an assignment or something, you know, in her, I guess, 
adolescent life and she'd been working all night and it was incredibly important or, you know, she went to school without her lunch, um, for example. I think, you know, as parents, because you want the best for your children, you know, I might think or I know that she's going to get a detention if she doesn't, you know, hand in her assignment and she worked on it all night or if she doesn't have her lunch, she's not going to eat today. Um, and I think that, you know, you can have that temptation to want to go to the school and drop off the assignment or mm. drop off their lunch. Mm. But it's not teaching them yeah. anything. It's not a lesson. Mm. And I think I'm, if I look back retrospectively, I've had the most growth and the most learning opportunities through adverse situations, not when life is cruisy. Mm. It's great, but am I learning anything? No. Mm. So I actually now... Every time there's a turbulent or something difficult in my life, I look at it as a learning opportunity. Mm. What have I learnt from this? What am what can I take from this and apply? Um, and I'm going to be, you know, growing as an individual, professionally or personally through that experience. Mm. So I, I would really, you know, hope that I apply that to my children mm. and um, let them experience life, let them grow. And I think my mum did that. She was amazing. She It was always honest and open communication. Um, you know, I never felt like I had to hide anything from her. If anything, I told her too much. Yeah. Um, but I think that that was created a really special bond and relationship and allowed me to go and grow and experience things, mm. even if she was terrified that I wasn't going to come back to Australia or, yeah. um, you know, it wasn't the right choice that I was making. She let me take it. Mm. That's so wonderful. Yeah, Sarah, thank you so much for um, for sharing your amazing story, for being so open and honest with everything. I know um, I know people will just love hearing you speak. You have a lot to offer, and I just love, um, especially towards the end now, with the things that you've shared to for for parents who are listening um, in thinking about how they're wanting to raise their children. You've given us some really great ideas um, and it's just been really uplifting and inspirational to hear you and um, you have had to go through a lot, but it's it's wonderful to hear um, the, the positive choices that you've chosen to be able to move forward and find your happy ending. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much. And it, it's just a testament that you can go through the hardest days and you can come out of them. I never thought that that was possible. Um, and I look back now and go, I don't know how I did it. But I did it because you have a support network. You have great people around you. And um, I think what you're doing uh, with this podcast is going to help so many people. And knowing, you know, having met Ali um, at your wedding, um, I think... This is such a special legacy and tribute to her and will help so many people. So, Ebs, you're an incredible person. Thank you. And thank you for inviting us to do this. Thank you. And I hope that, yeah, you know, resilience, you can learn the